Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new Centerfire Rifle Ammunition terminal ascent now the terminal ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low velocity expansion at longer ranges the terminal ascent gives you match grade long range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet and it comes in a variety of cartridges including the 6.5 creedmoor the 280 ackley improved the 28 nosler the 7 millimeter remington mag 30-06 and the 300 win mag if you want to find more information about the terminal ascent visit federalpremium.com and while you're there check out it's federal season the official podcast of federal ammunition My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bears. All right, we're at the Bear Hunting Magazine Global Headquarters, and we just settled a pretty significant issue that uh, that came up, and I had nothing to do with it, but I was the uh, I had to score a deer for my friend Matt Taylor, who's here with his son Weston Taylor, also known as the Eagle, <laughs> and my son Bears here as well. Um, Matt, tell me just a little bit about what just happened. Yeah, so we, uh, I've been hunting with the same group of guys for about 25 years, deer hunting. And uh, 19 years ago tomorrow, 
I killed what we think is the biggest deer our camp, right. you know, re- record holder in terms of big buck. And uh, this year, one of my hunting buddies, Cody Chumney, shot a really nice eight pointer opening morning of muzzleloader season, and uh, thought we might have a record breaker. Mm. So we needed an impartial third party official judge to, <laughs> to settle it. Weston, were you there when Cody killed that buck? Yeah, I was there at camp. You were there at camp. Did you think it was bigger than your dad's deer? I don't know. It was close. You I, just when you saw it, what did you think? Were you like, "Oh man, this is going to give Dad's buck a run for the money"? Sort of, yeah. You kind of thought it, maybe it would steal your family's honor. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so when did you kill your buck, Matt? Like in 1998 or something? It was 2001. 2001. Yep. So the camp record was killed in 2001. Yeah. So you brought. Cody's deer over here and uh we we scored it pretty quick and I told yep. you I said uh so I, I I score for Boone and Crockett but we we didn't we kind of gave like the the deer camp version score like we didn't so when you're scoring a deer guys Bear would know it he's seen me do it but when you're officially scoring a deer Weston you mark the baseline of the tines which so that means like so there's the main beam but then there's the the tines and you have to have a baseline to determine where that time starts so you can know really how long it is. So usually you put a you put a piece of tape at the base of every time and then you lay a wire. I've got a little cable actually. It's a cable over the top of the main beam as if you were going to take a saw and cut that tine off flat. So the main beam would just would just be a main beam with no tines like yep. you you this envision you know this this invisible line that would go across there you would mark it on the tape because you don't want to draw on somebody's deer antlers so you put masking tape there right bear yep and uh but we didn't do that because this was a deer camp this wasn't official this was like deer camp which in many ways is more official <laughs> okay um because uh there's a little bit of liberty but uh Cody's buck was an eight point. Yeah. Beautiful eight point. Yeah. Dark racked, heavy horned. Longest time was like 10 and a half inches, I think. Yeah. Which is yep. a, a tall time. Real knotty, gnarly bases. Gnarly bases, uh, 16 and a half inches wide or yep. so, which is pretty typical yep. of good deer. And uh, it scored like 131 and something, which is a really respectable eight point especially for around here on public ground yeah and so mountains so here's what was wild is that matt thought (laughs) for all these years that the deer that his deer which is a 10 which is is a mainframe 10 point with a split brow tine so it's an 11 point yep you thought it scored one would i had it at 132 and a half for so you had that written on the back of the mount from 2001 yeah 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 my rough measurements back then yeah who knows where we got the information on how to measure it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so we just scored it, and it scored uh, – what did it score? It One, 141 and a half. 141 and yeah. a half. Yeah. So this is like a surprise. Yeah. This is like – this thing's been on the wall for decades, not even been off the wall, almost two decades. Yeah. You pull it off the wall, and it's 10 inches bigger than you thought. Yeah. Does this, like, change your life? A little bit. I feel a little <laughs> more accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are going to have to work a little harder to beat this camp record. I know. I, re- I really, 
I, I was hoping Cody beat it. Like it's time. Yeah, you know? yeah, it, I'm with you. It's been too long for one record. We we need something else to shoot. It would for. it would kind of give the camp a little bit of momentum to think that the yeah. record have been broken. Yeah. It's kind of like the world record typical whitetail <laughs> was killed in I think 1994 um, up in Saskatchewan uh, by uh, Hanson. Who golly, it's been so long. See, that's just it. It's been so yeah. long since the world record white Milo Hanson. That's his name. It's been so long since the world record whitetail hit the dirt that we've forgotten the guy's name. Yeah, you don't even shoot for it anymore. It's just not achievable. <laughs> Weston, were you going for a world record whitetail this year? Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> Hoping. Well, no, it would have given the camp some momentum, but I'm going to say that Cody's buck, you could you could find other categories like biggest eight point. Yeah, yeah. It would definitely hit that. You know, we, we've had some good deer over the years. In fact, my oldest son, Jackson, killed a big eight point four years ago that – I, I I would say it was maybe just under Cody's, but really, we we get a decent one every year. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, so what we're gonna do on this podcast is I, I want to get around to butchering a bear, how to process and butcher a bear, and all the different things that we can do with bear meat and bear fat. And Matt this year just got finished butchering one, yep. killed a bear. We're gonna talk about that, but I've got Weston and Bear and matt in here because all of you guys have had an incredible season i have not <laughs> uh so weston you first second day of muzzleloader season killed the biggest buck of your life is that right yes were you excited about that yeah very public land yeah what ha- just tell briefly tell me the story so i was sitting on the ground um he dropped me off about four o'clock in the afternoon? Yeah. Yeah. And this uh, was after he shot a doe that morning. Okay, that's right. You killed one that morning. Yeah. And I, was set, I settled down about 5 o'clock. This deer comes coming down. You could hear him coming. And um, he starts to get closer. I'm getting ready. And he's – I couldn't really see where he was until he started hook bushing. I, I hook bushing and uh, see the tree just going back and forth. Mm. And um, – I swear, swear uh, I was going in my bag to try to can call it towards me because I thought I saw it going away from me, but I thought I messed up. And there, give him some sound effects. <laughs> I don't think that. <laughs> okay, go ahead. And uh, Hook, wait, wait, wait. When he okay, let me just cue you in how we're gonna do this. When he says something, <laughs> I need some sound effects. Like if he says "hook bushing," like I think that's kind of a camp term these guys have. I need to hear like. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Weston. <laughs> okay. And uh, he turns and starts coming right to me. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to make sure that. <laughs> he turns. Go ahead. And I uh, lift up my gun and click back the hammer, and all I see is uh, his head and his neck. I was like, this is the only shot I have. So I took it, and he went down just right in his tracks. Mm. <sighs> neck shot. Yeah, neck shot. Right in the white patch? No, it was... Like, if I was an inch off, it probably would have missed it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I got lucky. Okay. And uh, went down. I was shaking real bad, trying to get the cap out, struggling. I finally got all loaded, waited a little bit, then I walked up on it, and it was big. Yeah. Big, nice, public land six-point. Yeah. Awesome. 
Awesome. Weston had to sit there with that deer for two hours. <laughs> we didn't have any communication in the right. mountains, and I told him I'd come get him at dark. Yeah. And uh, I was walking in, and it was after dark. I had my flashlight, and I got almost to him, and I hear, Dad, hurry! <laughs> I thought, oh, boy, something happened. Uh, I bet that was a long two hours, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now, okay, so Weston killed a gobbler in the spring, too. It was your first gobbler. Mm-hmm. And then on the very same day, was yeah. it not? Yep. Bear, so Bear and Weston are 14. You're 14? No, not yet. 13. You're um, 13. Okay, okay. 13, Bear's 14. And uh, you killed a gobbler. We got a text message from them on opening day of youth season, and uh, we didn't even know they were going turkey hunting. Yeah, I and, think I texted you. I said, hey, are you home? We got something to show you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, And we were down. We were out turkey hunting. And anyway, Bear ended up killing one late in the morning. So, Bear, so y'all both killed gobblers. And then, Bear, tell me, give me the, like, abbreviated version of your Halloween buck. Okay, so I got home pretty late at, like, 3.30 or something. Hey, Wes, excuse me. I need sound effects. (laughs) (laughs) Anything that, any action word, any verb. This is like English class. I need some sound effect. Okay, quality is not the issue here. Just energy, energy. Okay, this rings energy. Okay, I need this okay. from you. Okay, <laughs> all right. So it's Halloween day, and I got back from school pretty late, about the time I'd want to get in the stand. And so I got home, and I quickly got dressed because I knew that I wanted to go. So. I asked River, my sister, if she could drive me over to this place. <laughs> she could drive me over to this place about half a mile from our house. And I took a climbing stand with me. Okay, but you calculated the wind because I told you yeah. to go somewhere else. Yeah, the wind was out of the south blowing north. And so I, I knew the stand and where... you would call that a south wind. Okay, yeah, south so, wind. And that's something that maybe not everybody would understand, but a wind that's blowing to the north is a south wind. Yeah. So wind is categorized by the direction it comes from. Yep. And so I knew that the wind at the spot I was sitting would be blowing into a field where I didn't think that the deer would come from. Right. So I went and I climbed this white oak tree after trying to climb a shagbark hickory tree with a climbing stand. Oh, you didn't tell me that. You tried to climb it. Man, a shagbark hickory yeah. is not the kind of tree you <laughs> yeah. want to climb in a climbing stand. I got like six feet up and decided that you were like, no, nope. not this is not going to work. They're easy to come down. They're hard to go up. Yeah, because the way the yeah, the way the, the bark lays. Yeah, so I went to this like white oak tree, probably like ten feet from it. Climbed up it, got up probably at like four forty-five, a lot later than I'd want to be up. Getting dark at six thirty. Yeah, before time change. Yep. And so I waited about 15 minutes before I started calling. I would do an ester split, and then I would do like a tending grunt, like where oh, like a wow. We need we need we need to hear this, man. <laughs> where like it'd be like a couple of deep Just grunts. Do it with your mouth, like a meow. You know, like the ester split, and then like a meow. Okay, so the ester split would be like a long, higher pitched yeah bleat that ends with a little crescendo. Yeah, yeah. And then well said. <laughs> yeah, and then attending grunt is like a deeper Bad. grunt, and it's kind of like that. There's like a buck tending a doe, basically. And then so I was doing that like when every they're, when they're doing that. Weston, have you ever heard a buck grunt in the woods? No. Yeah, they they when they're with a doe that they're kind of like corralling and trying to 
you know, do what they do. They, uh, he's like, back, 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 back. Just, I mean, like. It's an incredible thing to hear. I've heard it, you know, a few times. And it's just, yeah. it's kind of like hearing a turkey gobble. It's like, you know, something special is happening. Yeah. 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 And so I was doing that probably like every 15 minutes about the time that, like whenever I'd grunt, that like I would think if a deer hears this, it'll come in. But then I would wait until like whichever deer that was that would have been there would be have decided to not come basically. Right. So I was doing that probably every fifteen minutes, and at about five thirty, almost exactly, I did that, and about forty five seconds later, I see a rack of like a a big bigger rack than anything that I've ever shot yeah. coming down the hill. And he was just coming straight towards me, and he was grunting. Every time he'd take a step, he'd go, murt, really? murt, murt, yeah. And he got, he just walked right behind me, like, perfect, at 17 yards. And I drew back, I grunt stopped him, shot, I hit him a little high. So he just dropped, and then, you know, I shot him and... Dropped him. Dropped him, yep, with a bow. Nice 10 point. I was, I was hunting somewhere else, and he texted me. What was funny... And this is the way, this is kind of what you you kind of live for in the fall, is that moment when things shift. Yeah. Because hunting, I'm in this stage of hunting right now where it just almost seems impossible. <laughs> like, I hadn't whitetail hunted this much in years. I mean, I've just spent an incredible amount of time in the woods, and I have yet to, I did draw my bow on a shooter buck, but that's it. I haven't killed one. And so you just get to thinking, like, this is just an impossible task. And then just all of a sudden, things change. Because I had texted Bear, and he was like, you see anything? And I was like, no, have you? No, nothing. You know, just like this pretty typical exchange we'd have. And then, like, four minutes later, big 10-point down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was exciting. And uh, it was Halloween night. And a bunch of people were coming over to our house for a kind of a bonfire, and that made it all the more fun. Yeah, you'll probably once in your life kill a deer like at a time when like a whole bunch of people are going to be like coming to your. I'm being serious. Like usually it's kind of a solo thing, and you and you share the experience with people after the fact or through technology, or you call somebody and tell them. It's pretty special when you kill a deer and you can bring. But I know at deer camp, you guys would. I mean, you, you have that experience at deer camp. Yeah, I started to say it's it's incredible the parallels these boys have had this year between killing yeah. that their first gobbler on the same day, and then this year both of them getting a good buck. And yeah, Weston had a similar experience on our way into camp. We use uh, CB radios up there in the mountains, and I radioed ahead to the camp as we're coming up the mountain, and uh, the guys answered. I said, "Hey." Weston's bringing another big one into camp. Get the hanging tree ready. And we got up there, man. It was real special. Everybody gathered around the truck and they're high fiving. Just a yeah, a really cool moment. So Barry got to experience that too. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. Well, and then uh, Matt, you've had a heck of a year. I have. You, we were just going through. Like, give me a give me an overview of how your year so far, and then but I want to get to the specifics of the bear. Yep, sure. But yeah, give me an overview. Yeah, well, the bear kicked it all off, really. Yeah, um, that was October second. 
uh, we went and hunted that bear and, and got got it with a bow. That kicked off the season. Man, that, that I guess we'll talk more in detail about that later. But uh, Weston and I and, and our, our buddies, we all camp the week of muzzleloader season. It's a big week for us. And we went down there and my oldest daughter, June, is six years old. Mm-hmm. And she came with us this year for the first time. And uh, Saturday and Sunday, we didn't see anything. Weston got his two deer on Sunday. And then Monday morning, June and I got a seven-point buck together. And so that was pretty incredible. The next morning, uh, June, Weston, and I all hunted together. Mm. And and we had Weston set up on a hot trail. And, and a nice nine-point came in behind June and I. I wasn't expecting it to come from that way. There's no way Weston was going to see it. So... I had to do the shooting, which I sure hated to do, but yeah, <laughs> but I, I got that one. So we we killed bucks two days in a row. So, nice. So had a, had a bear and two bucks at that point, and then uh, later that week, I was still hunting with a muzzleloader, uh, still had doe tags, and got a bobcat, mm. uh, which I've been trying to kill a bobcat my entire life. I've shot at them, I've never gotten one until this year. So that kind of came together. And then this past weekend, Weston and Bear and I went back to deer camp. They were able to hunt with rifles, uh, youth gun youth hunt. Season. And yeah. I took my bow, thinking, you know, I'm still, still after a doe. And uh, Saturday evening, right before dark, a big wild hog came through. And, and I was <laughs> able to get him. So a bear, two bucks, a bobcat, and a hog. Wow. Man, and this hog, uh, this hog... Uh, was quite the ordeal. Oh, you don't man. have to go into all the details, but you you shot this hog right at dark. Yeah, and y'all trailed it for. Now I've 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 uh, kind of mined this story out of all of you individually, and I pretty <laughs> much come to the same story. So I know you're not lying to me. <laughs> but uh, w- the collective idea is that trailed this this hog close to a mile. That'd be my guess. Yeah, I, I know walk, walking hard back. To the truck up a creek bed took us probably an hour. Yep, really. Yep. Wow. So, and 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 we're trailing this thing, crawling through briars. You know, after this big wounded boar, no weapon. You know, flashlight and one. Yeah, hand y'all in went it. in and weren't really prepared. To no, we're tra- just going to retrieve my arrow. I thought I missed it. Oh. So we went in totally unprepared, and so by the end of it, we trailed it. We got a knife in one hand and a flashlight in the other. <laughs> not knowing what we're going to walk up on. But we eventually did find him. Well, yeah. and so go ahead and tell kind of the end of the story. You you give up on the trail. Yeah, we, it, he, he made it to a field, and uh, there was five of us looking, two of my buddies, uh, Russell and Cody, and then me, Bear, and Weston. And Russell and Cody were going to go on ahead and try to figure out where we were because we had lost our sense of direction moon hadn't coming up yet middle of the night and they're going to try to find they think they know where a road is so they leave us and we, we lost blood trail uh after a while and i'm like boys that's it i said all for none man we're just gonna have to go and try to find those guys and get out of here we take about what 10 or 15 steps weston yeah and i hear and i shine the light over and we are what 10 feet from this yeah, Boar. really close. I mean, he's right there <laughs> and standing up like he's. Mm, yeah. Oh man, that shook us up pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but wow. uh, he was he was almost expired. Like he he didn't charge us or anything. 
So we, uh, again, didn't have a weapon other than a knife, and none of us were brave enough to dive in on him. So <laughs> we, uh, we just we had to Not leave. Not even him. Weston. No, can you believe it? <laughs> wow. Well, I'll I'll say that's a pretty. Uh, I mean, wild boars are. They're not just stereotyped to be aggressive. I mean, they really are aggressive. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's pretty unusual, I would say, if he had enough life to be standing there yeah. that he didn't at least take a run at you. It could have been dangerous. He was chomping his jaws yeah, at us. And this is teeth. not a small hawk. This is a no, big hawk. I would say over 300 pounds. And big tusks. Big tusks, yeah. Probably two, two and a half inches long. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was big. Well, man, that's quite the, uh, the Arkansas slam right there (laughs) to get a wild hog buck and a bear west to kill the turkey. So the the family, the family slam. Our best year ever for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Well, um, Matt, so let's talk about, let's talk about our bear hunt. Yeah. Um, I wasn't planning on, I wasn't planning on inviting you. Uh, I I wasn't either. I was working that day. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I kind of felt like this would happen. Is that so? The first weekend, all the kids hunted, and I kind of just, I was saving my tag to kill a bear in the mountains. This is the this is the short version. I was saving. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't plan to kill a bear over bait, even though we were baiting bears and had bears on bait. Yeah. So after the weekend, the first weekend ended, and the kids went home, and that meant it's my turn to hunt. I went into the mountains and checked a bunch of spots that if I was going to kill a bear in the mountains without bait, this is where it was going to happen, and I quickly saw that it was going to be real tough yeah. Uh, just because the mass crop was scattered. It was, it was not a dry year. There was many factors that made bear hunting in the mountains tough for the way that I hunt and the places that I hunt. So I spent uh, a day and a half hunting the mountains and pretty much ran all my little traps, you know? And, uh, and so it came to be Monday and I had there had been one spot, and if anybody follows Bear Hunting Magazine stuff, they would have seen the video we did with River, the mule bait. Yeah, you know where she. uh, It was a video called River's Bear on Bear Hunting Magazine YouTube, and and we we had this 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 private land. We can only hunt bear bait bears on private land in Arkansas, and so we've we've got a piece of private land that's that you can't get to with a vehicle, essentially. So we have to pack in bait on mules. Well. I had neglected that bait this year, Matt. I, and I probably told you this. I baited that thing like three days before season, only one time. Yeah. Because I didn't intend to hunt it because it's so hard to get to. And where we hunt with James Lawrence, and that's where we dedicated our whole weekend and our whole bear camp was in his part of the world. And uh, so I wasn't even going to I w- I wasn't even going to hunt the mule bait, but I just couldn't stand not baiting it. So I had gone in there one time and baited and hadn't even gone back to check it. Yeah. Um I mean th- let me think of the sequence. Let me think of the sequence. Yeah, no 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 no, that's not that's not true. I didn't bait it at all. 
I didn't bait it. Uh, no, I baited it twice. I'm sorry. That is exactly what happened. Three days before season, I baited it. Didn't go back in there. Went to the mountains, decided I wasn't going to kill a bear in the mountains. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go kill a bear at the mule bait. But I'd only baited it one time three days before. And I knew how all the bears were responding on our other baits, which was pretty poor. Yeah. On years when there's good mass crop, the bears don't respond to bait that well. So I knew that at the mule bait, it would probably just be average. But, and I I just, you know, I knew I wasn't going to, the only way I was going to shoot a bear over bait this year was if it was going to be a real nice bear. Well, I figured I'd go into the mule bait and just law of averages and having baited and hunted a lot, you know, the chances of killing a really big bear on October the 2nd were slim. But, and I didn't have any intel, but I wanted to be a part of a bear kill up there. And I, you know, I just thought it'd be a shame for me to let a nice bear walk by just because I didn't want to kill it. Yeah. And so Matt works a real job. <laughs> and uh, I called you, did I call you the morning of? Yeah. You sent me a text at like <laughs> 930 that morning. Hey, going bear hunting at 11 o'clock. Want to go? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Let's see. I can't. I've got too much to do. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that is why I texted you because I could have sent that text to a lot of people at 9:30 in the morning and they would have been like, "Oh, thanks for the invite, Clay, but I can't do it." Yeah. And I would have been like, "Check, I'll remember that for the next 10 years." <laughs> yeah. And and uh, I just had a feeling I had given you a tip the night before, though. Do you remember? Yeah. I said, what are you doing tomorrow? I got Yeah, kind of a cryptic, <laughs> what, what are you doing tomorrow? And yeah. I'm like, where's this going? Does he need Man, help moving furniture? I, I, I will, I'm not afraid to say that sometimes I am. It's hard to get me to commit when it comes to hunting because, you know, the scenario changes constantly. Yeah. Like, and I had the thought the night before, ought to invite Matt to go up there with me. Like, that just crossed my mind. Yeah. And so, you know, many variables. Well, I wonder if he could go. I figured you'd want to go, but it's like, I wonder if he could go. So I was just like, what are you doing tomorrow, Matt? Because, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm thinking maybe I ought to go to the mountains and hunt on the mules. Maybe I ought not to even go up, to, up there, you know? Yeah. And uh, so... Anyway, I sent that text, and then finally at like nine thirty the next morning, I was like, "I'm going to the mountain, and I want to bring <laughs> you know somebody. Yeah. Or not just somebody. I don't just take somebody. I mean, I I, I wanted to take you. Yeah. And so I was like, "Hey, I'm leaving at eleven. If you want to go kill a bear, oh, and, man. And, I met, and, and I was very upfront about our deal, was I not? Not exactly. I don't think you presented a deal <laughs> until we were on the way down. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> no, I don't remember. Because eh? I, I said. I mean, I feel like this is what happened. I feel like I said, Matt, if there's a big bear, I'm going to shoot it. Because that's, that's yeah. just what I said. But if there's a bear that I don't want to shoot, or if a bear that I don't want to shoot comes in first, I just felt like there was going to be, it wasn't just going to be one big bear coming in there. Yeah. And, it's going to be. And and to give some context to this, I was completely cool with that because Man, I, I killed a bear back in 2005, just uh, incidental. I was deer hunting and got right. a bear. And I I hunt a lot. 
especially deer hunting and and in bear country like yeah my son jackson killed a bear four years ago just you know while we were deer hunting they're right. up there but i haven't seen a bear in 15 years mm. and so when you said you know if it's one i don't want to shoot you can shoot it like that's fine with me man any bear right yeah 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 because i'm, I'm fascinated by bears i want i wanted another bear and and you just don't see them. They're, yeah, I think you. I've heard you call them black ghosts. They, yeah, they literally are. Yeah, yeah. Well, I and I knew you'd be okay with with that deal. Yeah, and, uh, for sure. And and I and I knew that it probably leaned towards your favor because I knew what I was after would we'd have to have been pretty. It'd been pretty good fortune for me to go in there and shoot a. I was probably looking for a three hundred and fifty pound plus bear. Yeah, and uh, so we so we. So we have to load. We load up two mules. We drive down there, saddle up the mules. Um, I'd say, well, we left at eleven, and uh, we were up on the mountain hunting by about three o'clock. I think so. Yeah, about three o'clock, we were in the stands. So we rode up the mountain, and uh, and, and the way we hunt that place is we tie mule. Bears never hunted up there with me. Have you? You hadn't hunted up there with me at the bait. Yeah, not at the bait. Yeah, no. Yeah, so we, we get about a quarter mile from the bait and just tie the mules up. Better tie them up good or they'll get away and <laughs> run to the bottom of the mountain. That's happened before. Um, and uh, so we just park them, leave and go hunt. And uh, so that's what we did. And I, so I, I checked the camera while I was, as soon as we got there. And there, were, there was a bear coming in there that I would have shot. But it was real weird because there were hardly any daytime photos. Yeah. There were actually only two bears on camera, and both of them were what appeared to me in quick analysis on the phone was large adult males, both of them probably over 300 pounds. That's what I yeah. analyzed. So it's like, okay, there's two good bears, but they weren't coming in daylight, which is odd because no human pressure up there. These bears aren't being hunted. Like, see, you often think about animals going nocturnal, like thinking, oh, well, they know hunting season's around. They know they're being pressured. They, they're trying to, you know, protect themselves from human predation. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that's – I think that can be true, but even with these places that are totally unmolested, these big animals just feed at night yeah. sometimes. And it, I think it has to do with lunar cycles. I think it has to do with – photo period you know how there, there's some mystery with animal movement nocturnal and daylight movement that is is a, is a hard riddle to solve but these bears had not been coming in the daytime to this yeah. bait so i was discouraged by that and typically with a bear bait as you're analyzing photos i mean i mean it's kind of common sense but i mean if there had been a daylight bear there the day before in the in the evening i would have been like He'll, there's a pretty good chance he'll be back. Yeah, you you didn't seem very optimistic after you looked at the pictures. Like yeah. you, you you gave me the impression like we're probably not going to see one. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I, I I kept my optimism just being there. You know, I'd, I'd never yeah. been around bear bait before, uh, so that experience was new. And I think I told you I said if we just see a bear like this is a huge win for me. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and then we said, I remember sitting there. So, so I had one, one stand up in the tree, and you, it was a, just a lock-on stand. So yeah. you sat in the lock-on stand, and I sat in my saddle. I just tied my 
tree saddle yeah. right beside you. And uh, and I said, this bait has been out for such a short amount of time. It's possible that new bears could be finding this bait for the first time. Because this was an established bait. Right. Like it had been used for a couple of years. So, and, and used extensively. A lot of bears were hitting it. So I knew that a pretty large number of bears knew where this bait was. And they key in on food sources at, at time specific points, you know, like, uh, bears have, I, I've read some research where bears have an incredible memory for where food source is like down to like a specific tree on a mountain, Wow, you know, that is highly productive or a, or berry patch in a certain place. So they have these vast home ranges and they have big brains. They're, they're omnivores. They can see color. They uh, they can th- their ability to categorize and remember food sources what makes them so successful. So like a bait yeah. site, they hit it one time, they remember that for the rest of their life. Huh. They're not ever going to be like, where was that place <laughs> when I was a cub, where Mama took us? It's like phew, they hone in on it. Yeah. Have y'all have y'all heard <clears throat> heard me tell the story of uh. This didn't happen to me, but it happened to some guys that really taught me how to bait bears. The the Beesons, some friends of mine here in Arkansas, Will and Adam Beeson. They were, early when I started baiting bears, they were real. They they gave me a lot of good info. But they had trail cameras up. They had a really established great bait site, and they had trail cameras up. And for whatever reason, they had cameras up before they put out bait. And I don't know if it was a camera that they left up the whole year and the batteries lasted that long, or yeah. if it was intentional. But basically, every year, their whole strategy was like clockwork. Put out the bait 10 days before season. Bait hard for 10 days as much as they would, as much as the bears would eat. And that's what they did. So, you know, for years, every single, you know, September the 15th or, you know, what back then the opening date was October the 1st. So, you know, like, you know, September the 20th, yeah. let's just say they would put out bait. September 20th, September 20th, September, for years. Well, uh, as the season started to change, their their, their dates got off. Like, the, the season then moved up and moved back. Anyway, the Bears one time showed up on, like, <laughs> September 20th. They knew it was time. For the first time, and there was no bait there. Um, wow. they, so they weren't coming in to scent. They were coming in to, this That's is incredible. when this is supposed to be here. Yeah. You know, and uh Ryan Greb had stories like that too. But uh so all that to say, I said there could be new bears yep. still finding this bait. You did. And uh anyway, at like prime time, you know, the last probably hour of daylight, you know, we hear we hear a large animal. You know, it wasn't like footsteps like Weston heard of his buck coming in. It was just like just just a stick pop, a yeah. little bit of a shuffle, just light noise. Yeah. But enough to know that's not a squirrel. Exactly, yeah. It was like, I remember after probably 10 seconds, like I was 100% convinced it was a bear. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure what it was. You know, I, I could hear it. I knew it, was a, it had to be a large animal, but, man, it seemed like it was right there and I couldn't see it. Mm. So it, it was... It's kind of like when you're looking for a deer and you, and it's a squirrel, you can't see it, you know. Yeah, yeah. It was like that, but it didn't sound like a squirrel. So finally, you saw it. 
Yeah. And it was right there. It was, it was, it had come probably 20, 25 yards. Yeah. It had come into the open, but the shadows, this black animal that I'm not used to seeing. Yeah. (laughs) I was overlooking it. Yeah. It was a real, it was, it came out of a pawpaw thicket. I don't know if you remember that, but we were kind of, kind of in open woods. I mean, not really open, but for, for that area, semi open, but there was a thick pawpaw patch right there. And, uh, that those I knew I just felt like they would come from that direction. Yeah. You know? And um we hear some popping and anyway, I, I see the bear out there and I immediately recognize that it's not a bear I had on camera. Yeah. Because it wasn't big enough. And it was it ended up being a really nice bear, but I just knew it wasn't that three hundred and fifty type pound bear yeah. that I had seen on camera. And I at, at first glance I was like this is a bear for Matt to shoot. Yeah, you immediately. I think that's what you whispered to me when I was like, oh, it's right there. And you're like, that's your bear. Yeah. I was like, what? Are you sure? <laughs> that thing's big. <laughs> <laughs> and man, that bear. So first of all, I had not seen that bear on camera. But really, the way that bear acted told me that it had never been to that bait. Or it hadn't been to the bait that year. Yeah. The bait had just been put out. I I believe it was that bear's first time into that bait because it took it fifteen minutes. Yeah, that was incredible to watch, and I I got shaking so bad just because it took so long. It would take one step and then just sniff and look and sniff and look, and then finally take another step and just so cautious. Yeah, it, it was just incredible to watch. Yeah, yeah, I, I've rarely seen one come in quite like that. Hmm. It uh it guys it just I mean it would just it would pick up its feet like a cat. Yeah. And just set its feet down. I mean, just walked in I mean almost silent after we saw it. Yeah. And uh and it just eased in. I mean, just it took forever. It did. For that thing to walk probably fifteen yards. Yeah. To get into range and be broadside. And I and I think that's the way they approach you know, a bear bait. Well, any kind of congregated bear feeding area, whether it be a white oak ridge that's full of acorns and there's bear sign and bear scent, you know, these bears coming into it, new bears are going to be real cautious. They're afraid of other bears. Well, I remember asking you, I said, why bears don't really have any natural predators. I said, why are they so incredibly cautious? And and that's what you said was they're, they're, they don't want to be around other bears. Yeah. I mean, big male bears are, are, uh, uh, you know, cannibals can be. I mean, they they yeah. they'll kill. You know, infanticide. You know, they'll kill cubs. Um, they're highly territorial for the most part. I mean, if they if you see two or three bears at a bait site, which is common when you're baiting bears, I mean, they're just tolerating each other. They're not yeah. like herding up like deer and going to run off and hang out together. Uh, the odd times you'll see pairs of bears is usually sibling bears that have that are two years old and for whatever reason just kind of had a bond that they yeah. just hadn't split up yet but you'll rarely see other than you know like a breeding pair in the spring or something i mean bears are solitary animals and they want to be solitary and uh any bear is capable of killing any other bear i mean they've got they they so you know they're just super cautious yeah you know and uh, so this bear just crept in crept in crept in crept in and finally, it got in 
broadside. I remember one time I could, I you know, I was. It's a kind of a fun experience, and, and I've I've done it before, but never for that extended period of time. But you know, we were at a super steep angle. Yeah, like we were up. We were only up probably eighteen feet off the ground, but the ground sloped off. Yeah, he was down below us. Below, so we were probably. 25 feet above this bear maybe not that high above it but and in this and and it was the first time i'd sat in these this stand because I, I i moved the bait slightly on this property and so when we got up there i was like oh wow we're <laughs> super close yeah like, so i knew we were going to be shooting like straight down yep and i also knew that that is a really tough situation to be in shooting a bear is shooting straight down yeah a lot of and it's boy it's easy to wound a bear it's easy to get a bad shot so I was watching you like a hawk, and and and, uh, and and I, you know, I I won't mince words about it. Like guys that have killed, I have seen guys that have killed hundred, like literally one of my a guy I know real well, good friend of mine, veteran whitetail hunter, one of the best whitetail hunters I know, probably one of the best whitetail hunters in the country, hunted with me years ago, and. Uh, Wounded a bear at like twelve yards. Got this guy's killed like three hundred deer with his bow. Wow! And uh, first bear he'd ever shot at, and just got rattled. Yeah, and just made a bad decision, and shot this bear wrong. And I mean, like he was the last person I had any. Yeah. I mean, this guy's a killer. Yeah. And I, and I put him in a bear stand, and it was just like, dude, just kill a bear, no big deal. Big bear walks in and he gets rattled and just makes a poor decision. Wounds this bear. We never find it. So anyway, I don't take anything for granted. You're a ve- you're a veteran hunter, but I was watching you. And yeah. uh, man, that bear started to get up even with us, where it was almost broadside but not quite. And yeah. I saw your hands start to kind of <laughs> tighten up on that string. And I remember saying, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was like, man, wait. Yeah, you did. Wait, 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 because I. I just really wanted him perfectly broadside or slightly quartering away. Yeah. Didn't want to take any any kind of front, you know, any kind of quartering two shot. Yeah. And Y'all understand what that means, guys? Quartering yeah. two? Quarter, yeah. Okay. Broadside would be a, a, a deer bear that his, his back hips and his front shoulders are equal distance to you. He's like flat, like the face of a barn, like broadside like a barn. If he's quartering to you, it means that his front shoulders are closer to you than his butt. Does that make sense? Like th- his head would be right here. If he's quartering away, and the the whole quartering thing has to do, it's a it has to do with the angle. Like like if if this were a compass, like if we had a comp, and this is getting this is digging into the weeds, but you know, like if we had a compass, hundred and eighty degrees would be like. In front of you, like quartering, would be like twenty five percent. Yeah. So it has to do with the angle, like if it was on a compass. Okay. But quartering away, Weston, would be if his butt was closer to you than his shoulders, and that's a much better shot because you can slip a bullet or an arrow in, and the forward movement of the bullet is going to carry it into the vitals. If he's quartering to you, you got to shoot through the front shoulders anyway and, and, and we've got a compound angle because we're up so high as well that's so right. we've got to account for that too and that's the hardest part of it yeah so it anyway the bear the bear's probably eight yards from the base of the tree yeah it's it, was it not yeah and we're probably 25 feet above the bear so i mean we're just shooting straight down on it yeah but he finally gets 
broadside and beyond. Because once he gets broadside, and we were kind of like, okay. And there was a little bit of brush. At the perfect broadside moment, there right. was a little bit of brush there. I had to let him get a little further, so he was slightly quartering away. Yeah. But, man, to be that patient, I, I was glad you told me to wait because I, I'm not used to being patient. Like, even deer hunting, like, we don't hunt with any bait ever. Like, I've never... I, I never have moments like that. Most of our right. shots, like you see the deer, you better get ready and shoot. They're passing through, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so to wait and be that patient was real hard for me. Yeah. But I'm glad I did, and I'm glad it came in that slow because, man, I was shook up. <laughs> <laughs> when I first saw that bear, like I said, it's been 15 years since I've seen one in the wild. Yeah. And uh, it, it just, you know, it's it's emotional in a way. Yeah, and and you know you you get the jitters and the adrenaline, and I had time to breathe a little bit and try to calm myself down before the yeah. shot. Yeah, yeah. Well, you drew back, shot, hit him, hit him. Kind of, where'd you hit him? High in the shoulder, man. Right, really, where I wanted to, and it was weird. And I've heard. Listening to your podcast and, and, and reading Bear Hunt Magazine helped tremendously because you talk a lot about shot placement and how you even talked about you don't see the defined shoulder like you do on a deer. Right. And I had all that in my mind, you know, and, and it's absolutely true. I like that peep sight, and all I see is black. Yep. And like I, shooting at a 55-gallon trash bag yeah. blown up with air. Yeah. It, <laughs> just it, like. it wasn't like just obvious where that shoulder is and what you're even shooting at. I had to kind of look back out of my peep and get back and settle in and get comfortable. And what I tried to do was, was hug that front shoulder pretty tight and, and shoot a little bit high, so thinking the right. downward trajectory would get down into the vitals. Yes. And, and that's what we did. I released the arrow. Uh, bear gave out a, a moan and went down Yeah, and kind of rolled around. And, uh, and I think I was grabbing for another arrow when you said, put another one in it. And I, yeah. was, I was already on my yeah. way and we did, and it, it didn't even get out of sight. Yeah. We, well, it, uh, it, uh, it had to, you know, that high shoulder will just drop them too. Yeah. You know, so it, it, it either clipped the, clipped the spine a little bit. Or that high shoulder, but it did it pass. It passed through though, didn't it? It did, yeah. So, somehow, and it may have clipped something in that spine. I'm not real sure. It didn't stop the arrow, but yeah, um, yeah. It, man. You know what I call that? I call that getting blacked out. Yeah. When you look through your peep sight and all you see is black. Yeah. And it's pretty common if you're shooting a bear inside of 15 yards, especially if it's a very big bear. And this was a this was a good sized bear. I mean, I, I think it was easily 250 pounds. Oh, I would you, say. I remember when we were skinning it. You remember it kind of rolled down the hill, and we had to drag it back up, and yeah. barely could. Yeah, it was a it was a fat bear. Um, so I mean, it, it wasn't a small bear. No. Um, but yeah, yeah, I call it uh, getting blacked out. And you did the right thing. And that is not to panic. And you, I, I did the same thing kind of the last time that happened to me is I looked around the peep and then back in the peep and around the peep and back in the peep. Yeah. And finally, you just kind of figure out where you need to aim. Yeah. And you just kind of got to let it go. But uh, yeah, it's, that's a tough situation. It is. And it's funny. I had the exact same thing happen with that hog on Saturday evening. I'll be darn. Yeah, that you just look up and see black. And yeah. it, it was forty yards, so and it, it was a losing daylight, so uh 
But yeah, it's tough. It's not like shooting at a deer. Yeah. Very different. Well, and then the fun began because we're, there's no way we would have, I mean, we could have like quartered that bear up and hauled it out ourselves, but it would have been a pretty major ordeal. You mean without the mules? Yeah. Oh, that wouldn't have been fun. Yeah. (laughs) We, we went back and got the mules and by this time it's dark and, and, uh, but we, we know we're going to have to break the bear down out in the field. Yeah. And uh, went back and got the mules. And uh, it was pretty cool, bear. You should have been there because uh, it was Izzy's fifth bear to haul out. So Izzy's my mule. And uh, she, this is her fifth bear to haul out. And uh, every – so basically the first four bears, she pretty much responded the same way, which was she didn't want that bear on her back. Yeah. I was talking to somebody about it the other day. I think um, I think a lot of equine guys try to put a animal on a horse or a mule's back, and I mean their natural tendency. I mean, like the vast majority of animals are not going to want you to do that. Yeah, and so they're going to throw a fit. They're going to be scared. They're going to respond in a flight response. No, I don't want something bloody and strange or a predator on my back. But what I'm learning is you can condition them if you handle them right in the field. To where they'll gradually just get better and better and better and better. But you got to take, you can't take no for an answer. I mean, when Izzy first kind of balked at me, wanting to put a bear on her, I mean, it was more than balk. I mean, she went nuts. Yeah. You know, but I just was, I, I just was like, well, I, you don't have a choice, Izzy. I'm going <laughs> to, this bear's going on your back. And eventually yeah. I got it on her back, snorting and kicking. And, and uh, I was afraid that. Maybe that's just what I was going to be up against because you do hear the odd story of a mule or a horse that's just totally just doesn't care from the first one, <laughs> just like just whatever. That's not the norm. Yeah, but that does happen. And so uh, what I think it happens in the equine world is that those mules kind of get the good reputation of yep, some will do it and some won't. Just they either will or they won't. But Izzy would have been in the category of the ones that won't. But, you know, you saw how she acted. I mean. Oh, she didn't fuss at all. You know, I what I did, though, after we skinned that bear, I, I had blood on my hands and, you know, smelled like a bear. And when we walked back to her, the first thing I did was I put my hand up and let her smell it. And she, she kind of <laughs> snorted a little bit. And then I just pet her and talked to her and just put my hands on her nose. And finally she was just like, oh, we're hauling out a bear. Okay, got yeah. it. Walked back in, and she never really balked much at all after that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I was really thrilled about that. But, hey, the reason that we're having this podcast, though, Matt, is to talk about what you did with that bear. Yeah. Um, so if you kill a bear, uh, like, you, so this would have been the second bear that you skinned. What what would you tell somebody that would be different than, like, a skinning a deer? I think uh... – one thing, well, we skinned this one on the ground after dark, but but prior to that, the last one I skinned was the one my oh, old, right. oldest son killed yeah, Jackson four killed years one. ago. Okay, and uh, he killed his in the morning, so we we skinned it in daylight at camp and just hung it up like you would a deer um, from its hind legs and skinned it down. It's it's uh, it's different in that you hear about bears being greasy. It it, it it's gets oily like on your hands as you're skinning it. Yeah, uh, it gets real oily, and, and and that's different. But other than that, uh, we skint we skint that one just like you would a deer. Just skin it down, 
And what's different about how you and I did it is, you know, for one, skidding it on the ground, but then two, we harvested the fat. Yeah. Which at th- that time, you know, I didn't know anything about being able to use the fat for anything. So we just threw it away. Yeah. Um, so we kept all the fat. And then we also, after we skinned it, we just cored it up bone in. And, uh, we, we used to do that with deer and, uh, man, it just makes for so much more work in the kitchen for me. Mm. I've always processed all my own game. And, uh, we found that, you know, if you can hang them up, especially it's, it's so much easier in the field for me to cut the meat off the bone and just bring so the meat you, home. Okay. So you're deboning them in the field. Yeah. While, okay. while it's hanging and, and I never bring a bone in the house now. Okay. With the bear, it might be different on some parts of it because you might want to cook it bone in. Right. And, and we actually did that with part of it. Uh, Colby cooked part of his. He made that asabuco. Yeah. And my wife and I made that recipe at home, and we, we used a pizza. Did you really? Yep. What did you think of it? I loved it. Really? Uh, yep. Did the family like it? Yeah. Melissa yeah. liked it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Weston? We, uh, asabuco? I don't remember if you ate any of it. I don't I don't think you were there that night for some reason. Home. But... uh. Our whole family loves wild game. My wife yeah. cooks a ton of it, and it's just a man, just a an amazing organic alternative. It adds variety to our diet, mm-hmm. and we we eat a ton of it. So yeah, my my wife doesn't hump; she loves to cook it. Yeah, and she does most of the cooking. So, but yeah, the asabuco we cooked bone in with yeah. with part of the. How'd you cut it? I cut it with a sawzall. Yeah, the bone. So asabuco, the November December issue of Barony Magazine. Uh, Colby did an article on Osabuco where you you take the the shank, which is like the least desirable cut of meat on yeah. any animal. Yeah, like the front, the lower section of the leg on the front quarters. Yeah, I mean it's like grind and, meat. Yeah, I mean it's sinewy, it's tough, and you and you and you slice it like you're slicing a loaf of bread. Leave the bone in, and then you Colby cooked it in a in a. What do you cook it in? A, a, a Instapot. Instapot. Is, what, is that it, what you did too? It, it was. In fact, man, we that's our go-to for a lot of meals now, and, mm. and especially wild game meals. It's fast, and it really breaks it down and, and, and makes it so tender. Mm. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. But, yeah, we made that with it. Um, but, yeah, what got me on that was you might want to leave some bone in for things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But other than that, like, I don't like to take bone in the house. It's it's a lot more work for me breaking it down in the house than it is hanging out in the field. Yeah. And we uh, – so, yeah, we, we – Hey, s- talking about bone in, let me just interject this because you guys are a part of it. Do you remember that ham that I cured? Oh, yeah. That y'all ate with us? That was incredible. Now, that was bone in. Yep. Now, and that was the first real – well, I've cured pork hams before. That was actually the first bear ham that I cured. Now, I'd smoked bear ham before and just basically had smoked meat that was... Yeah. So when you say the word ham, you're talking about the back back leg of the animal. But a cured ham would be like a Christmas ham. Cured ham would be like pink meat. That's characteristic of, of a cured meat. Usually it's pork that we cure. Well, we cured a bear ham. And uh, we did an article on it in like the September, July, August, or September issue of Barony Magazine. Yeah, man, I, you know I overcooked that meat a little bit. 
Isn't that what we decided? It's been a little while. You said you did, and, and maybe you did, but, man, I thought it was fantastic. Even the, the next taste day. taste was great. Yeah. The, I, you sent some home with me in the next day. It was just fantastic. And what you just put honey on it, right? Well, the, I glazed it with honey, but, you know, it had a special cure. Yeah. I mean, you do have to get the Instacure. Uh, I ordered it off Amazon real easy. You get Instacure. And, and you know, you, just, you do have to follow this recipe, and it's a wet cure. Okay. So you leave it. Like a like one you you let it brine for one day per pound of the ham. So this was a nine pound ham, and I think we let it brine for seven days, maybe eight days, and uh, oh, it was just right. It so was. we we brined it, and then we smoked it, and I, I let it stay on the smoke for like four hours, and then put it covered in the oven for like another three hours or something. So it cooked like a total of like seven hours. But like that would be a good example of bone in yeah. stuff. But uh, uh, you know, I just want to say too, just for somebody that listened to this podcast for this thing about like how to butcher a bear, like I always say this: like people are intimidated about killing a bear yeah. and butchering it. Like I- I'm kind of surprised at that because if you know how to skin a deer, it's no different skinning a bear, no. other than you're going to have to joint out the feet. <laughs> That's the only thing different than uh like a like a whitetail and uh i keep going back to barony magazine you remember all the pictures we took yeah of joining yeah, out those, those feet? last issue yeah it, it, those weren't great pictures because we were <laughs> we were hot and it was <laughs> like my phone was fogging up but basically you, you know i mean any four-legged animal that has hair you're gonna cut it up the center you're gonna cut down from the wrists down to the chest, down to the legs, skin the hide off, and then it's just got four quarters, back straps, and loins and ribs and neck meat. That's all it's got. Yeah. And it complicated it a little bit because I wanted to keep the hide and head. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, most people that are killing a bear are they're gonna do that. Yep. Um, but we in the field we leave the feet in the hide and the head in the hide. So there's no reason to most of the time, the taxidermist takes care of that, but you do just have to get to the wrist joints and the, you know what we would call the ankle joints, yeah. and you just gotta, you know, it, it's actually really simple. And and I even sometimes it's still when I get to it, could be a little bit like, dang, this is gonna be hard. But basically, if you just if you just slow down and just move those feet, move the feet, and kind of locate where that pivot point is, and then get your knife in there and start poking around, you'll pop that joint yeah. and then be able to cut that foot off. And then you just skin that hide. And then that bear just has four quarters, two back straps, two inner tenderloins, neck meat and ribs and fat. Yeah. And you carry it all out. Yeah. If you got a mule, you put it on your mule. <laughs> if you got a two 13 to 14 year old boys, you put it in their backpack. That's right. You have them carried off the mountain. Bear, do you remember when we I, I killed Rock Slide and I took you up to get him? Yeah. Bear was with me when I killed that mounted really? bear. Man, that thing was like skinning a beached whale up oh, on the side man. of the mountain. We had six guys and we all carried out parts of it. I, my my pack weighed 98 pounds coming off that mountain. What'd yours weigh, Bear? What'd yours weigh, Bear? 150? <laughs> yep. <laughs> bear would have been like, uh, well, it was 2013, so how old would you have been? It was seven years ago. Like eight, I think. <laughs> okay. I, the, total derailed, but I got to say this because I remember it. Man, we were coming off the mountain in the dark at a 98-pound pack, and I was carrying my gun, too. And uh, it was dark, and I had my seven-year-old son with me. And we had to cross a pretty fast flowing creek. And uh, I remember 
bear was in front of me where it was dark and i mean we're just like i'm just running off adrenaline you know i'd been up since way before daylight that morning now it's way after dark i've killed this what we believed was a 500 pound bear i mean just like this incredible day we're coming out of the woods and we come to this creek and i'd carried him across on the way there but now i got a 98 pound pack (laughs) on and and i just say bear cross that creek and i could see him getting nervous and kind of like not really knowing how to do it and man, I just grabbed him up by one arm and just stormed across that creek. And I just remember thinking, adrenaline is an amazing thing. Yeah. Cause there's no way I could have, I, I felt like I could have done that if I'd have been like yeah. in my right mind. Like, cause yeah, I don't know, he probably weighed 40, 50 pounds at that time. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. So I'd, anyway, sidetracked, but that was a good pack out story. Yeah. Um, so what, what are you going to do with your bear, Matt? So we've eaten, I think, three. No, four meals, I think, already. So we've had we had the asabuco. We we ground a lot of it. Yep. Um and then ground I, bear meat is incredible ground meat. Oh yeah. We we had chili one night with it, which fantastic. We had um man, we had bear stew the other night. How good was that, Weston? That was really chunks good. Chunks or ground? Yep, chunks. Just so so like stewed yep. stewed up chunks. Yep, and, and my wife cooked it in the Instapot. And, and she just okay cooked she it first in the instapot seared and then, it in the instapot okay. real, real good with some some oil i'm not sure what she used if it was uh some sort of oil that would stand a high temp seared it really good and then uh worked her magic from there man just put everything in it and cooked it in that thing for a while and it was incredible and then the other meal that shepherd's pie we had was bare wasn't it yeah what'd you think of that i thought it was really good yeah what okay, so this being uh how do you handle if somebody says, Hey Matt, what about trichinosis? I would say, you know, from from all the research I've done, which a lot of it's been fr- from education from you, I know Ranella did a thing on it, it where he actually contracted it, right? Right, right. And uh just just to be careful, you know, just use common sense, uh, clean all surfaces, but then just cook it. To, I think, what, 144? It yep. dies instantly. Yep, you nailed it. And if you cook it for a long enough period, you don't even have to get to 144, right? You you nailed it. So few people, I, I, I mean, that that data that you just said is what I got off the uh, the government website. Yeah, uh, I can't remember what it what it would be. The CDC, I don't know. Is maybe. that what it is? Uh, USDA, maybe. USDA, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and it and it and it was talking about pork because yeah. trichinella and pork. Yeah, it used to be a big thing. Trichinella dies at a, instantly at 144 degrees, and it and it it there's a gradual scale. So at 143, and I'm just making this up now, but just so you get an understanding, at 143 degrees for three seconds. Yeah, it would die at 142 degrees at six seconds. It would die, and it, it goes all the way down to like if you cooked it for. And I'm just making this up, so nobody go and do this. But like you know, some you know for three hours at 120 degrees, it would kill it. Like there's this graduated scale where it dies. So this idea that you just got to cook bear meat till it's black is just not true. Yeah. And most foods. We are accustomed to cooking to 165. Right, right. And, and I'm not suggesting you cook all your bear to 144. I'm just saying, go ahead and cook it to 160-ish, but you kill that trichinosis 
a long time before that. Yep, and that's what we do, and I have zero fear of it, honestly. Yep. I, I would have more fear of, of getting salmonella poison from something I buy at the store. Yep. Um, but the only difference in, in what we do with deer meat and bear meat because of that is with my deer tenderloins, I cook them kind of like a steak on the grill. Yeah. And we'll we'll rub olive oil on them, put salt and pepper on them, just sear them really good and leave them pink in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I won't do that with bear. Right, um, right. But, but other than that, man, anything we use deer meat for, we use bear meat for. Yeah. And so so uh, you would uh, ground meat. Did you Do you go ahead and cut it up into steaks before you freeze it? I, I don't. What I left was, <laughs> and I think I labeled them bear hunk. So just a, <laughs> like a hunk of clean meat off the backhand. Okay, you know? and then so you'll thaw it out, and then you'll cut and, it up into stew meat, yeah, cut it up it, into steaks, exactly. cut it up into whatever. Yeah, we can decide later what we do with it. Okay. Um, and that's how we did that. And and there's obviously a lot of ways you can freeze meat. A lot of people use the, the, the vacuum sealer, or I used to use just Ziploc bags. Past few years, I use freezer paper. Okay, so you don't even put any kind of plastic or cellophane or anything? Nope. I wrap it in freezer paper, uh, tape it up good, and I just make sure I eat all my wild game before the next season starts, and I've never had an issue. Yeah, yeah. So You know, I I like to cut my meat to its finished product before I freeze it. It's just preference, just so that I can just pull it out. So we killed some deer in the last 10 days, and uh, Misty's been wanting cubes for she just does a lot of stuff with just cubed meat yeah so i went ahead and cubed everything uh i made roasts i made uh tenderloin now tenderloins i would cut into sections kind of like uh, a serving you know like for a family yeah take a whole tenderloin and cut it three times and put it in a ziploc bag but and, and i i'm just using ziploc bags Oh, yeah. I, I'm pretty old school. I, I'm sure I'll end up getting a vacuum sealer pretty soon, just because that's the trendy thing to do. I I used one for a while. I just didn't like it. Some of the seals wouldn't wouldn't take, and it just this Kinda contraption hard. that you're fighting. I just really I so you were there paper. and went back. Yeah. Okay. I went from Ziploc to vacuum seal to freezer paper. You know, Matt, you're kind of an old fashioned kind of guy. A little bit. When y'all told me that y'all are back in the boonies the other night and didn't have onyx i was like this is a real woodsman <laughs> it's either a real woodsman or just somebody real frugal <laughs> technologically frugal yeah. um yeah. no so um i was okay fat give me you you harvested how much how many pounds of fat did we get off that bird i didn't weigh the poundage but uh it was a lot and and i didn't you did some tutorials on it, I think, and I was kind of going based off that, but I didn't really know what I was doing, so I don't know if I did it right or not. But what I did, I I didn't freeze it first. I just cubed it up in the house, and then I took it outside into like a turkey fryer. Yep. And threw it in that fire, turned the fire on, on, and walked away. And that was my first mistake, and, and I'm bad to do that. That's why my wife didn't let me cook. I'll turn it on and leave. But I think I, I started burning it. By the time I went back out, I had had. Some you put of, it all in at one time. I did. Okay, and th- that might have been a mistake too. <laughs> um, mm. But I started burning it a little bit, so I turned my fire down, started stirring it up a little bit, and, and man, I was expecting like twenty minutes. I cooked it. I cooked it for a long time, like probably over an hour. To, really? And it, it still didn't get it all to melt. Okay. Um, we 
Weston helped me jar it, and uh, we we got thirteen pint jars out of it. Thirteen pint yeah. jars, and I still had a lot of little cubes that were solid in in the pot. But I've found that um, a pound of bare fat will make about a pint of oil. Really? So we probably had about thirteen pounds, well, fifteen pounds. I I would say if all of it would have rendered down to a liquid, I would have probably had twenty pounds. Yeah, I, that's probably about right. Yeah, I bet we had. I bet we got twenty pounds of fat off that bear. Yeah, but man, it was just as brown and clear and beautiful uh it it was awesome i mean it did turn kind of cloudy and white overnight as it cooled down but uh yeah we just poured it in the jars i put lids on them a lot of them actually popped and sealed yes uh you pour you just so all all you got to do there's not there's no there's no tricks i mean i just use mason jars with a syllable is just like you would use if you were canning vegetables or something and i mean you just Pour the oil in while it's hot. I typically let it cool down just a few minutes before I put the lid on, but you can pretty much put the lid on right away. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. That In that jar, I have used bear oil, and I've probably said this a hundred times on this podcast. I guess I keep saying it. I've used bear grease that sat in a windowsill for a year and a half. <laughs> uh, and it was still usable. I could start to taste kind of a off taste in it at a year and a half wow and it wasn't it wasn't off-putting it wasn't soured but i could just i I could i could be like yeah it's kind of old yeah so man if you kill a bear i would say you've for sure got a year of good use yeah and i would absolutely take advantage of it because it's it's we probably already used four or five jars what are you doing with it Man, we used it at deer camp. We fried deer meat in it. We mm-hmm. fried taters in it. I uh, I grease our biscuit pan at at deer camp so the biscuits don't stick. It works incredibly yep. well. I'll I'll grease my frying pan at home before I cook eggs. Yep. Just rub some in it. Yep. They don't stick. It's uh, it's amazing. I, I love, love it. it. Yeah. I love bear grease, man. Bear grease. Well, um, it's uh, it's great for frying fish too. I haven't tried that yet. Yeah. We got to get out and catch some fish, Weston. Just kind yeah. of a shallow fry, as Giannis Patella says, uh, you know, about a quarter inch, yeah, a little bit more oil, and just flip the fish. But, yeah, bare-oiled fried potatoes, I don't know that there's anything better. Yeah. I mean, like, in terms of you couldn't have a better oil. You know, and, and now what they're finding is that, the, the science, the data, the nutritionists are now saying that animal fat is some of the healthiest oil that you can use. Like, really? So don't feel like you're compromising your health when you're cooking in bear oil. Yeah. Uh, so this guy that was on Ranella's podcast the other day, uh, Carnivore MD. Um, what's going on here, guys? They're, get, they're throwing hand signals. <laughs> they're getting antsy. Uh, yeah, y'all can go play basketball here in a minute, but just wait. Uh, uh, car, a guy named Carnivore MD, he's a medical doctor, and he's doing some experiments on eating only a carnivorous diet. Really? And he says that there are certain things about animal fats that are actually more healthy than even olive oil. Wow. Because, you know, like right now, bar none, like if somebody's listening to this and they're still using like a lot of the time using canola oil and vegetable oil for frying, I mean, you're just killing yourself. I mean, like, it, it's and that's what we like always poison. used at Deer Camp. Yeah, and and and, and, and 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 you know, once or twice a year, I'll still use it just because it 
Yeah. Sometimes you have to. It's easy. And, and that's what fast food stuff is fried in. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like poison to the human body. And it's very different. The end product, like even with the deer meat, it's not as like oily when you use, when we use the bear grease. And a lot of that bear grease, I don't know where it goes. It cooks out. Yeah. <laughs> it's going up in the air or somewhere, but we had to keep adding even to the taters. Yeah. Uh, but. Well, it's. It's it's the healthy choice, boys. There the you go. healthy oil. <laughs> you heard it here. God's oil. <laughs> bear grease. Bear grease. Man, I, I love bear grease. I love it. I love it. Um one thing I was gonna say, just for we've had podcasts about this, videos about this and stuff, but best practice for rendering bear fat is to grind the fat before you that do makes it. And, sense. And, and it's it's a lot of work to do that. You don't have to. So what I was gonna say is like Probably the, a better thing to have done would have been to turn that turkey fryer on lowest heat possible yeah, and probably not put it all in at once. And you got to stir it pretty – you got to stir it a lot at first because those first pieces of fat that hit are going to want to stick and yeah. sizzle and burn. And cook it more like gravy. Keep it stirred. And keep it stirring. And once, it, once, it, once you get a layer of oil at the bottom of it, it, that kind of like lubricates yeah. the rest of it, but when you chunk it up, you you'll never utilize all the oil because you'll it'll always just render down to a certain point, and you end up having maybe twenty percent cracklings. You know yep, where that's you what have happened to me. about twenty percent will be solids, and uh, and you can take those solids out and salt them and pepper them and eat them. The dogs loved them. It, or put them in Ziploc bags and use them as dog treats for the next yeah. year. They're, hey, I wanted to ask you that. So when I'm when I'm skinning a deer and, and cutting up the meat, you have a lot of waste. You know, you're, you're uh, what do you call it? The not the tendon, but start with an S. Sinew. Sinew. Yeah, I, mean, I never know what to call it, but get a lot of that waste, I always just chunk it up and, and feed it to my dogs. Yeah, and it'll you know it'll it'll keep us from buying dog food for a week or two. I didn't do that with the bear because I wasn't sure about the, uh, the trichinosis. Trichinosis going to the dogs. Yeah, what, that's a good question, um, and I don't have a scientific answer. I know that dogs, my dogs, have eaten bear meat really, and sh- and show no symptoms of anything in distress. If you and I ate raw bear meat and got trichinosis, we'd get sick. Yeah, you know. Um, but just like that bear, for whatever reason, a bear can carry trichinosis and it not affect him. Yeah. I mean, because he's not, I've never heard anybody speculate on like what that parasite actually does to that bear, but the healthiest bears on the planet might have trichinosis. Yeah. So it's almost like they're a host, but they're unaffected. We, when we're a host, it kills us or, you know, you're not going to die from trichinosis in 2020, but untreated you know it could mess you up so does it hurt the dogs i don't think so okay but i don't know why i couldn't tell you why yeah i I probably wasted some then because all that that's i'm gonna research that i mean uh because my dogs have eaten bear meat and uh you know maybe they've all got trichinosis (laughs) but they all still hunt and do fine yeah may not matter i don't know that's a great question but um so anyway best practice is to Get that fat, cube it up, get the fat cold, and you know, put it in the freezer for 30 minutes. Okay. And then grind it, and you'll get about a 97% efficiency rate in turning fat into oil. That makes you'll sense. You'll have a little bit of crackling, 
you know, kind of scuzz. Yeah. Scuzz is the wrong word. I mean, just like, you know, grains, you'll, you, just because it's so finely ground. Yeah. But uh, that's best practice. But, you know, other than maybe approaching it wrong, it, it was super easy. Like, I thought we'd have to strain mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff out of it. Yeah. Man, it poured off just clean. I yeah. Didn't, I didn't have to strain it at all. Really? Uh-uh. Now, see, I usually strain mine through cheesecloth. I used, my wife's got a little, it's not a colander. It, it's it, it's kind of shaped like one, but it's more like a, a screen door would be. Yeah. That, that Right. And right. I used that, but it didn't catch much. And, yeah. And, and the, the grease just came out clean. Yeah. So awesome. Well, um that's 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 good stuff, man. Really utilizing the bear meat. I mean, you know, we say it all the time, but I mean there was a time when people didn't eat deer and they ate bear. They were like they killed deer for their hides and bear for the meat, you know. I can see why. And yeah. and it's funny because most people I talk to like you can eat bear. Yeah. Man, I prefer bear over deer. Yeah. I think it's it's more tender. It's just, we love it. This is a symptom of our society <laughs> trying to push out the backwoodsman mentalities and ways out of the culture. Boys, we're bringing it back. <laughs> we're bringing it back. All right. There was a time when a bear hide being, being salted and hanging on your barn was a status symbol. <laughs> It's like having a Porsche parked out in front of your house. You drive by somebody's house, and you're like, oh, man, they killed a bear. Woo! They're going to be living high on the bear this year. And the guy that didn't have the bear were like, man, sorry, I feel sorry for that guy. <laughs> it's like driving past the guy that's you know got like the 1992 Toyota Corolla out in front of his house. It's like, oh. man, that dude's having a hard time. <laughs> Yeah, oh. I think when I when I grew up, it was big catfish heads. People would hang them. <laughs> that was the status symbol down oh, yeah. in Southwest Arkansas. Yeah, people would hang them from uh, like uh, road signs and stuff in front of their house. Yeah, yeah. Look what I caught. <laughs> uh, hey, thank you guys, uh, Weston. Congratulations on the on those deer. Thank you, Bear. Congratulations on your deer, Matt. Congratulations on your deer and bear and bobcat and big wild hog. <laughs> thank you, uh, it, it, man. Thank you for for taking me. That you know the whole adventure from riding the mules up that rugged mountain to to seeing the bear, taking it, utilizing every piece of it. Like what an incredible adventure! And I didn't have to do any of the work. You know, you baited it, and <laughs> I just got you to were go. available. Yeah, part of part of sometimes good fortune comes to those who've built their world in such a way that they're available <laughs> well i told you i said next year uh when it's time to bait i'll go help you bait and, and yeah. not even hunt I'll, I'll help do the work next yeah, time yeah yeah well i tell you what here's here's how you can repay me and you've already mentioned this and i was going to bring this up not on the podcast but if you say stuff on the podcast it becomes official oh boy <laughs> because then like other people hear it and you kind of have to be accountable to it whatever you say i mean you could say no but I need some help fleshing all these coon hides and the one skunk hide that you guys brought. <laughs> and you I've have got, to bring that I've up. Got, I've got two bobcat hides, too. And a fox I've got, hide. I've got, okay, we got two bobcat hides, a skunk hide, <laughs> and a bunch of coon hides. Weston's got one or two coons in there. You, Yeah, that's right. That's, I, so. I, I was trying to remember why I had you guys chalked as yes. ones that were going to help. It's because y'all got coons in there. Count yeah. us in. Deal. 
Yeah. We need a good cold. It doesn't have to be cold, but just like a Saturday that's not hot. Yeah. And not during hunting season. Yep. Probably in December. Well, we need to do it soon to beat all the guys to the tannery. Because <laughs> all the trappers are about to start trapping and they're going to send their stuff to the tannery. <laughs> I got big plans for my bobcat that I killed the really? other day. Yeah. Big plans. <laughs> Did. Where did I hear? You going to make a hat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to see that hat. Yeah. I got big plans for those those uh, coons, too. That, that's for another podcast. Oh, boy. All right, guys. Well, do y'all know what we say at the end of the podcast? Do you know, Weston? No. You don't? Oh, <laughs> Bear, you know. Keep the wild places wild, because that's where the bears live. Nailed it. Nice. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. 